Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. The title of the message in our resolutions or resolutions series this morning is Reawaken. Reawaken. There was a couple of years ago here at the church. It was a Sunday morning. Um, everything was just pretty typical about the Sunday. The sermon was great. The worship was great. Um, <clears throat> the uh, I say the sermon was great. Again, you think, man, oh, he thinks real highly of himself. It was Pastor Tony who was preaching at the time. So, uh, so um, uh, he, he preached, and, and everything was great about the day. Well, at the end of the service, the worship team was up here playing, and, and people were lingering a little bit, praying and worshiping and just connecting here in the sanctuary. And it, it was kind of closing. Uh, things were ending, and people were walking out. Uh, they had stopped playing. The worship team had stopped playing. They turned a CD on, and uh, people were on their way out. We were getting ready to close, go home, get lunch. You know, it, the, the day was over. Well, as everybody was walking out, there was still a guy in the back, in that back section um, there, that was, was just still sitting there. And um, he looked like he was praying. And so we were just kind of giving him his space. And as everybody was walking out, there was an usher there. And he kind of looked at me and, and kind of pointed at the guy. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if he's still praying or connecting. And, and if he was still praying, I mean, we wanted to give him as much time as we could to, to allow him to pray. And so, so I thought, well, I'm going to go investigate a little bit. And, and so I walked in the row behind him and kind of just just leaned in over him to hear if he was praying and connecting with God and, and I couldn't tell I, I just I, I didn't hear anything and so so we waited a little bit and, and and I thought well maybe he's sleeping maybe he's sleeping and listen I know that you guys fall asleep in church right I see you okay I do I see you, and um, you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, I get pictures or videos of you sleeping from your friends, okay? And they send those to me, and that does not make me feel good about myself when you're sleeping while I'm preaching. And, um, and so I see you, and I know that people sleep sometimes during the message, and, and that's just it. But most of the time when people fall asleep during the message, at the end when people start standing up and walking out, it creates enough of a, like a disturbance amongst the force. Um, I don't know if we can say that in church, but you know what I'm saying. It creates enough of a disturbance that people kind of just wake up. Something's changing, and, and they wake up, and they, oh, praise the Lord. They walk out, and they act like they were connecting with God. But this didn't happen. And so he was back there, and, and I didn't know what was going on, if he was praying or, or what. And so, so I kind of you know, leaned in, and I couldn't hear anything. And so I, I, I walked up behind him, and I put my hand on him, and I started praying for him, you know, kind of uh, you know, uh, an unobtrusive way to wake him up if he was sleeping. And, uh, and still, nothing happened. And so, man, I don't, I don't know because I don't hear him connecting with God or anything. I, and, and I begin to really wonder, maybe he's dead Maybe he's dead. And, um, and so I, I, I put my arm and I squeeze him a little bit. Hey, buddy, nothing. Uh-oh, right? <laughs> hey, man, you doing okay? You doing, you, can I pray with you about anything? You know, getting louder and louder, no response at all. And so then I get real close, like in his bubble, like, you know, trying to like listen and he, for like breath and stuff like that, you know. And, uh, and then I shook him a little bit and I squeezed his, his, his shoulder a little bit harder. And then instantly, like his eyes popped open and he just was looking at me and it was just him and me in the sanctuary. And I was like, oh, and he was like, and I, I really felt like in that moment I had raised somebody from the dead, praise God. 
Praise the Lord, the anointing was so thick, I put hands on him and he rose from the dead. It was just like this awesome thing. I thought about calling the district office and saying, you'll never believe what happened today. He was dead and now he's alive, praise the Lord. And, um, and so, I mean, he was just obviously really, really tired and um, I woke him up in a weird, uncomfortable way. But the, the reality is there, there are some, I believe, here this morning and there are areas in your life, that maybe not your whole life, but there are areas in your life that you look, in your spirit, that you look exactly like the man sleeping in the back. Like you're in the right place. Right? You, you've, you've found yourself in the right environment. I mean, you know the right words, you know the right things, but, but right now there are, there are things in your life, in your heart, in your spirit that are so tired so lethargic, so out of it, that you begin to wonder sometimes, in this area, am I just sleeping, or, or am, I, am I possibly just dead? Is there no life in this area at all? Now, Pastor RJ uh, spoke last week about uh, recharging, and, and some of you have limped into 2017. You're like, man, I don't know if I'm gonna make it, and you limp into 2017, and you're here. You're like, yes, praise God. New year, new me. You got all sorts of resolutions, and you got all sorts of energy. You got all sorts of excitement, and, and you are ready to go. You're ready to conquer. You got this new uh, life about you, but there's others of you who you are limping into 2017, and the new year means absolutely nothing to you. You don't have any resolutions because you think, why would I do a resolution if I'm just gonna break it anyway? I'm not planning on changing. There are parts of me that are so tired, so out of it, so lethargic that, that I don't even know if I can stir them awake anymore. So it's just gonna be the same old, same old. I, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a new day, new year, new calendar, new 2017. Everything is exactly the same. And in your heart and in your spirit, you are so tired. You are so out of it. It feels like you are in a spiritual coma this morning. You begin to wonder if there are parts of you that are just, just dead. Perhaps you look back at 2016 and you feel like something in your life has died. Maybe hope. Maybe 2016 was the year for you that hope died. Maybe you had a falling out with your parents or, or one of your children and it felt like, man, this was the year that, that, that a relationship had died. Maybe you identified 2016 as the year that your marriage died. Maybe there was a dream that was living inside of you and that was giving you energy, that was giving you purpose and, and, and that dream has gone unfulfilled for another year and, and that dream is beginning to lie dormant and, and you wonder if, if that dream isn't just dead altogether. Maybe, maybe something happened this last year that caused you to lose your credibility, that caused you to lose your integrity and now your name and your honor has taken a hit and you feel like this is the, the, the year that your character has died and, and, and it's just been rough for you in those areas. Maybe 2016 was the year that your joy, your purpose, your passion, your zeal has died. Maybe this was the year that your faith in God has been laying so dormant that you're wondering maybe, maybe it's just not there anymore. Man, I've been trying so hard. I've been going to church. I've been, I've been, I've been begging God to do something and, and just nothing is happening. And so I don't even know really if I believe anymore. And you feel this morning like you're approaching 2017 and you're trusting God. Your faith is in a coma. It's on life support and it's on the verge of death. Well, I, I believe that God wants to do something in you this year. 
I believe that God wants to do something in your family this year. I believe that God wants to do something in, in this church this year. And I believe that God wants it to begin even today. I, I believe that, that we as a church, we as individuals are on the verge of a reawakening. A, a reawakening. That, that we aren't going to be okay to just go through the motions, to just sleep spiritually through life anymore. That we are going to be a people that are determined to live fully alive, fully awake, and fully engaged in who God is and what he wants for us. And I believe that God wants that to start today. The title of the message in our resolution series is Reawaken. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write this down. What I want to do today is I want to look at Luke chapter 8, and I want to give you three action points. Three action points to reawaken your spirit. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about like the, like the, the what to do, the application parts of this, though that is a very important part of, of, of preaching a sermon, but we're going to ask the Holy Spirit that he would reveal to you specifically what the action points are with each of these things. So we're going to look at these action points here in just a minute. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 says this, on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. And so, and so basically what's happening is you got this man named Jairus, and he sees Jesus, and he has an issue that he's bringing to Jesus, and, and he is a leader in the church. It says he was a leader in the local synagogue. That means he was either, a, like if you want to talk about like context, he was like a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a teacher. Or something. He was a leader in in the church. And scripture says he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with Jesus to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And so moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas think if you had one child 12 years old and they were laying on their deathbed, this is the situation that Jairus is in. And so he, he runs to Jesus, he falls down at his feet, and he begs him to come home with him um, so that he Jesus will heal his daughter. So things aren't looking good for her. She's on the verge of death. Probably she's laying there in a coma just moments away from dying. Her father, Jairus, is desperate, and so he runs to Jesus. And so there's three things that I want to talk to you about today. The first one is this. Get to Jesus. If you want to reawaken a dead situation or a dead part of your life and your spirit, the first and most important thing you can do is get to Jesus. Jairus found Jesus. He fell at his feet and he begged Jesus to come home with him to his house. And we are really good. I don't know if it's as Christians or as Americans or as just human beings. We are really good at overcomplicating the very very simple things. If something is simple, it doesn't take us long at all to overcomplicate it, right? Salvation, what we teach and preach, the, the essence of our, our mission here at the church, the gift of salvation is so simple, but we do everything we can as people to overcomplicate it. This is very, very basic. Get to Jesus, Get to Jesus. Now, usually what we do if we're facing some kind of crisis, whether it's a spiritual crisis or an emotional crisis or just something going on in our lives, if there's that area in our life that, that's dying or starting to die, we perform our own version of spiritual or emotional CPR. That's what we do. We do this all the time. 
And so, and so we think, man, there's this, just this part of me that I don't like. I feel like it's dying. Maybe it's asleep, and I just need to wake it up. And so we do this spiritual CPR, and, and, and we usually call them resolutions, right? And so we'll approach 2017, and we'll say something like this. This year, I'm going to have a positive attitude. I am, going to, I am just going to um, wake up with a positive can-do attitude, and I'm going to tell my face that I'm not so angry. So I'm going to smile a little bit. Any of you have some type of a resolution like that? Some of you? Okay, let me just tell you, some of you need that kind of resolution, all right? All right but we do that. We say, I'm going to be positive this year. But let me tell you, you can't breathe life into a dying spirit with a positive attitude. Some of you, you're saying, you know, I'm going to start exercising. New year, new me. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to get back into the gym. It's going to be really good. Things are going to go well for me. I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be more fit. I'm going to be more attractive. All of this stuff. You think maybe there are some areas of depression in my life that I'm going to overcome. There are things in my life spiritually that are dying. And so if I get fit physically, then maybe some of that other stuff that's dying emotionally is going to wake up. But the reality is you can't breathe life into a dying spirit with physical exercise. Okay? You just can't. Maybe this year you're saying, I'm going to focus on my family and my kids. I'm going to be a family man. I'm going to spend more time with them. I'm going to reconnect with them. I'm going to make them a priority. Listen, that's awesome. Great. Do that. Do all of these things. But you can't breathe life into a dying spirit with more focused family time. You just can't. This is... This is um, spiritual CPR that we try to conduct on ourselves, and it's, it's fruitless. It just doesn't work. Maybe this is the year where you say, I'm going to quit fill in the blank, whatever it is. I'm going to quit smoking, cussing, drinking. I'm going to quit um, uh, social media. I'm going to quit um, chocolate this year. For the entire year, I'm, I'm not going to drink soda. Whatever it is, you, you feel like there's something in your life that you've you need to cut out. And we all have those things in our lives that we need to cut out. Yes? Amen? Yeah. But the reality is you can't breathe life into a dying spirit by eliminating something from your life. It just doesn't work. We all have those things, but we can't bring new life. We can't awaken those things that are dead inside of us by cutting something out. We can repent and get rid of sin. Yes. We can turn from sin and turn towards righteousness, yes, but we need Jesus. We need to get to Jesus. We overcomplicate the very, very simple things by coming up with our own methods, our own strategies, our own solution, when the solution is very, very simple. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Some of you have been here in church for a long time, and man, you are faithful in your church attendance. You are faithful in, in being a part of the church, but man, you are far from Jesus. You are far from him. It is so crucial that every single one of us get to Jesus. Some of you are hesitant to turn to Jesus because you don't think your faith is strong enough. You think that there are other people and their faith is so strong, their faith has the, the power to move mountains, but your faith is so weak and so little, you don't even know that Jesus listens to you. Let me, let me show you something here. It, we're looking in Luke chapter eight, but if you go one chapter previous, Luke chapter seven, there's a story that's almost identical to the one we're looking at here with Jairus. There was a man, he was a Roman centurion, he was a Roman soldier, and um, he has a servant who is sick and dying. 
almost the exact same situation. And um, he sends word to Jesus and, and asks Jesus for a miracle, essentially. And there's other people around. They say, Jesus, man, this guy is great. He's awesome. He loves Israel. I mean, he, he, he's good to people. He cares for his servants. If anybody needs a miracle or if anybody deserves a miracle, it's him. Jesus, you should do it. And so Jesus, um, because he's a good God and because he's ready to heal and do the miraculous, he's ready to respond. But the centurion, he, he has a little bit of a different um, uh, thought process. He, he sees things differently. And so he says to Jesus, he says, Jesus, I know that you're a man of authority. I'm a man of authority. And because I hold authority, all I have to do is speak a word and it gets done. So Jesus, because you are a man of authority, you don't have to come to my house because Jesus was willing to go to the centurion's house. He says, you don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak the word. And when you speak the word, my servant will be healed. And you know what Jesus' response was? Some of you know, others don't but Jesus says whoa that's awesome I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel scripture says Jesus was amazed at his faith like this man who was a Roman centurion had big big faith and Jesus was like whoa that's that's this is a big deal like did you hear what he just said he didn't need me to come. He just said, speak the words. And I mean, Jesus was overwhelmed at, at, the, at the size of his faith. But I, I want you to, to compare and contrast this with what's happening. So we got this Roman soldier, an employee of the government, with huge faith. And then we got Jairus, a leader in the church, a leader in the local synagogue, going to Jesus and begging Jesus to come with him. So if you're gonna if you're gonna stack these levels of faith against each other, you got the soldier whose faith is strong, and um, the 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 leader in the church whose faith is a lot smaller. I wouldn't call it weak, but I would call it a lot smaller. They have varying degrees of faith, but. But notice what Jesus does and what he doesn't do. When Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, he doesn't say, look, Jairus, get up. You're asking me to come to your home. Did you not hear about the Roman centurion? Did you not hear what he did? Like he came up to me, he said, hey, Jesus, uh, I'd love for you to come to my home, but you don't have to because all you have to do is speak the words and um, my servant will be healed. That was faith. All you're doing is groveling. Get up. Jairus, I mean, you're supposed to be a leader in the church. You're supposed to have faith. You're supposed to understand who God is. You're supposed to acknowledge the power of God. And so, so Jairus, look, this is what I need you to do, Jairus, get up. I need you to go home. I need you to read your Bible more. I need you to pray more. I need you to fast. I need you to sing songs. I need you to journal a little bit. And when your faith is big enough, then you come back to me for your, with your request. Then you come back to me for your healing, but not until your faith is stronger. No, Jesus doesn't say any of that. And because there are people in this church this morning that, that live in varying degrees of faith, there's some of you whose faith is strong this morning and some of you whose faith is very, very weak. But because Jesus is willing to meet us at our varying levels of faith, that is great news, amen? That is great news this morning because Jesus responds to the Roman centurion and he responds to Jairus, the man who's supposed to have big faith, but whose faith at this moment seems to be a lot smaller. So no matter what you're facing this morning, 
No matter what you're going through, no matter what part of your life this morning is on life support, you don't need to muster up this earth-shattering, mountain-moving size of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. You just need faith enough to get to Jesus. Some of you are here this morning and, and, and you try to convince everybody that your faith is big, but the reality is your faith is very, very small. There are some of you who, who we would judge you and we would look at you and we'd say, you know, I don't know about them. I don't know if they got it together. I don't know if they have all the answers. I don't know if they know scripture like we know scripture. But your faith is very, very big. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. It just needs to be faith enough to get to Jesus. I worry sometimes that there are some of you who are here and been in the church for a long time. And your faith is weak today because you've spent your life in the church. And that's not a very good like, testimony to, to me and what we do. But I, I, I've seen it. There are some who grow up in the church and their faith is weak because they're in the church, because they've been through every Sunday school and every life group and every Bible study and, and they are so, excuse me, they are so able to give so many answers as to why Christ doesn't move that they don't even believe that he can anymore. And, and because we, we always try to make justifiers and because, well, why do bad things happen to good people and why doesn't God answer my prayers and we give God excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, we're not even convinced that he can or wants to anymore. It doesn't matter the size of your faith. You just need to have enough faith to get to Jesus. If you've been in church your whole life and your faith is strong or if this is your first time and your faith is very, very small, all you have to do first and foremost is get to Jesus. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking to, to her, and in this story there's kind of an aside here, Jesus says, yes, Jairus, I'll go home with you and, and we'll heal your daughter. And while he was going, there was a woman that had this issue of blood and she kind of snuck through the crowd and she touched Jesus. And Jesus was like, wait, what happened? Somebody touched me. And then um, she was healed. So he was kind of having this conversation with this woman who touched Jesus and was healed. And scripture says, while Jesus was still speaking to this woman who had just been healed of her issue of blood, a messenger arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, again, telling you he is a, a religious man. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So the girl is dead, right? She's passed away. Jesus missed his window of opportunity. It's too late now. There's no use. All hope is gone, right? That's the situation. Verse 50, but when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she'll be healed. So again, imagine if you're a parent and your only daughter was sick and dying and you just get word that Jesus is going to come to your house and heal her, but he didn't make it. He didn't get there fast enough and now he's completely devastated. Now he hears that his daughter has dead. All hope is gone or his daughter has died. All hope is gone and Jesus says, hold up, not so fast. Don't freak out. Don't worry. Don't panic. Just have faith and she'll be healed. Like, aren't we beyond the point of being healed because she's dead? She's not just sick. She's not dying. She is dead. We're not really talking about healing anymore. So he goes with him, and when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, Jesus walks in, the house is full of people crying, and he says, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. Verse 53, but the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. 
So just to clarify this, for the sake of the story and for the sake of argument, she wasn't sleeping, right? I know Jesus said, you know, hey, relax, she's just sleeping. She wasn't sleeping. She was dead. Um, Scripture says her life had left her because in a moment, her life is going to come back into her. She was dead. Everybody knew she was dead. The people in the room knew she was dead. Her mom and dad knew she was dead. Peter, James, and John knew she was dead. Jesus knew she was dead. Everybody in the room knew she was dead. But Jesus came in to challenge their faith and to show them something divine. Number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Get the right people in the room. Get the right people in the room. There's a subtlety in this that we miss if we aren't paying attention. It says this, Jesus wouldn't let anyone in the room with him except he chose who was going to be in the room when the miracle took place. And I think there's a lesson in this. Jesus walks into the house. Everybody's there crying. Everybody's there mourning. And, and rightly so, right? I mean, their response is fully appropriate. This little girl, she's the only child of this family, has died. So people are devastated and they're crying and they're mourning. It's completely appropriate that they're sad that this little girl has passed away. But when Jesus walks into the room and he challenges their faith and he says, look, stop crying. She isn't dead. She's only sleeping. It was their responses, I believe, and I don't know for sure, but it was their responses that, that, that allowed some to enter the room and denied others access to witness the miracle. Scripture says they laughed. They laughed at Jesus, at what he said. Hey, guys, relax. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed. They scuffed. Yeah, right. What do you know? Go back to carpentry. This isn't your field. You obviously don't know. And they laughed. They mocked the possibility. They didn't believe what, what Jesus said. They believed their eyes more than they believed the word of Jesus. The truth is there will be moments in our lives that our eyes can contradict the word of God. There'll be moments when our reality contradicts the promises of God. There are going to be moments when, when what Jesus says we will experience are different than what we are currently experiencing. And it's a choice in that moment where we are going to put our trust, where we are going to put our faith, where we are going to put our hope, and what we're going to believe in. Your response in that moment will either open or close the door to the miraculous. I think oftentimes that there are things that Jesus wants to do in our lives and in our families and in our churches, but there's too many of us that say he can't do it. And so it closes the door to the miraculous. Believe that God has miracles prepared for some of us that we haven't received because we're too busy laughing at the possibility of it. Some of you are here and you are hoping for a miracle, but you've invited too many laughers in the room. You haven't learned to shut out those people who are scoffing, to shut out those people who are downplaying the power of God. You need to surround yourself with some people who believe that the impossible is possible. You need to surround yourself with people who are crazy enough to hope. You need to surround yourself with people who are crazy enough to align themselves with a God who is, who is saying anything is possible. You need to align yourself with those kind of people. Post-mortem medicus, which is, is calling a doctor, calling the physician after death, is completely absurd. 
There's, there's no point in it. There's no hope. You don't call a doctor after somebody died. Post-mortem medicus, calling a physician after death is an absurdity. But post-mortem Christus, calling Jesus after death is the cornerstone of our faith. You need to surround yourself with post-mortem Christus kind of people. People that when they hear the report and they see the report with their eyes and then they hear what Jesus says, when they see death and then Jesus comes and says, nope, nope, it's not death, she's only sleeping. There's going to be two responses. Some people are gonna say, Jesus, you're crazy, that makes no sense. Other people are gonna say, hold on a second, it's about to get really, really good because something is about to go down because if Jesus said, it's not dead, it's not dead, you watch and see. We need to surround ourselves with those kind of people. Verse 54, then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Um, Point number three is this, get up. Get up. Get up. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I read a story like this in the Bible, I, I will... I will see it in my mind the way that I think it's supposed to go down, the way I imagine it to go down, rather than really study and look at what actually happened. So this is how I see this scene unfolding in my mind. Jesus, Peter, James, John, and the little girl's parents walk into the room where she was dead. And um, I see in my mind sort of this atmosphere of sort of reverent sorrow. You know, kind of, kind of just this, this reverence in the room um, and, and everything is very quiet. If you've ever been in a room where somebody has recently passed away, sort of there's this sadness, this spirit that um, relates itself in, in volume, actually. And so a lot of times the conversations in the room, are, they're, they're more whispers. Um, or if you're ever in a room where somebody is is they're waiting to pass away and stuff like that. It's just this solemn reverence. It's just quiet. It's, it's sort of this, this quiet respect that's going on in the room. And, and so I feel like this is what's happening. And Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and the parents are in there. And Jesus sort of like walks over, you know, very quietly and, and respectfully over to the little girl. And he reaches down and he grabs her hand. And, and he gets close, you know, because that's Jesus. And he gets close to her and he whispers in her ear, my child. You know, kind of like how, how you wake up your kids in the morning. Hey, buddy. Right? It's time for school, right? But, but in this moment, Jesus doesn't act like a loving parent whispering, hey, get up. He acts like a jerk brother who flips on the lights and says, get up! Right? That's what Jesus is doing. Like, He doesn't whisper anything. He grabs her by the hand and scripture says, he declared with a loud voice, he yelled, my child, get up. There was no whisper, there was no reverence to it. He says, you've been sleeping long enough, get up. You've been dead long enough. It's time for you to stop being dead, get up. And scripture says this, Scripture says immediately she stood up. Now, now there's something to this. Because he didn't whisper her away, get up, honey. He screamed her awake, and she immediately stood up. Her eyes didn't 
kind of open slowly. She didn't sit up and yawn or rub the sleep out. She did, Jesus screamed, get up, and she popped up out of bed, and she was standing on her feet. Have you ever been screamed awake? Anybody? You've been screamed awake? Like, it's no fun when it happens to you, but it's really fun to do to somebody else, right? Maybe it happened to you in college or something like that. Hey, get up. A couple years ago, um, there was a, a tornado siren that went off in the middle of the night. Our house is right next to the siren. It's right there. And Melissa heard it, and I was dead asleep. I was out, just, you know, asleep. And, um, and this tornado siren went off, and Melissa freaked out. She freaked out. I mean, she was convinced that the tornado had already ripped off half of our house. She wakes up, she slams me, Chris, tornado, get up, right? And she screamed me awake. I popped up out of bed. I was standing on my feet doing this before I was awake. I just knew it was time to wake up, right? I look over, I, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. Melissa does a front flip off of the bed. She runs up the wall by me matrix style grabs the girls and runs downstairs and says, get down here, you idiot. I was just on my feet. That was it, right? But listen, when you get screamed awake, it's sort of this moment that is, is kind of terrifying and awesome all at the same time because there's all this adrenaline that you don't know what to do with. And imagine what would happen if the Lord screamed your spirit awake and what you could do with all this spiritual energy, with all this spiritual adrenaline, when he says, hey, you've been dead long enough. It's time to get up. Imagine what could happen. We're gonna close a little different. Bow your heads and close your eyes all across this place. Uh, man, when I was putting together this message, this part of the message, I just, it just really felt like God was, was, I don't know, I just felt like it was spirit-led. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit would ask, ask me to do this. I'm, I'm going to read this. It's essentially a prayer for me, for my church. And I, I just ask this, we got 10 minutes left. If at any point during this prayer, it connects to your heart and your spirit and you would say, yes, I want that too. Yes, I stand with that prayer. I want you to stand to your feet. If at any point during this prayer, you would say, yeah, that, that, that prayer that you are praying for you, because this is a prayer for me. I want it too. I just want you to stand your feet. It's my prayer that God would scream me awake this year. God, don't whisper to me because I spend too much time listening to everyone else. God, don't whisper to me because I'm in too deep of a spiritual sleep. God, this year, I pray that you would scream me awake scream me awake. In those areas of my life where I have lost hope, God, scream me awake. In those areas in my life where I have lost joy, God, wake me up. In those areas where I have lost passion, God,
God, wake me up. In my relationships that are losing connection, God, wake me up. In those areas of my faith that are tired, Lord, wake me up. Let there be a reawakening in my life, in my family, in my kids. Lord, let your spirit stir powerfully in my name or in my home. Not in a we'll do our best to make good choices kind of way, but with such force, with such volume. Wake us up, Lord, with such a shaking that not responding to your command is not an option. Scream my spirit awake today, oh Lord. Command those things that are dead in my life to come back to life, to rise up. Let your voice, Lord, no longer be a whisper in my heart, but a shout. Let 2017 be a year where I live fully awake, fully alive to the things of the Lord. Let the Spirit so let the spirit flow so freely through me that it completely destroys complacency and lethargy in me. I will no longer do my best to try to live out a foolish spiritual CPR version of restoration and new life. But this morning, I will respond to your screams, Lord, to your commands to wake up, to get up, and to live fully alive. If you receive that this morning, let me hear you shout praises to the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. We are going to live in 2017 fully awake and fully alive because we can hear with our spiritual ears Jesus screaming, my child, get up, get up. It's no more whispers. It's no more if you want to, but with the command, get up because God has more for you. God has more for your family. God has more for your future. And it is time for us in our spirit and in our homes to rise up. Listen, you've been sleeping long enough. You've been dead long enough. It is time to get up. Do you receive that this morning? Do you receive that? Let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise, one more shout of praise this morning.